show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes. Even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff. One episode just saying enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Happy Halloween, everyone. As I mentioned earlier when I went live this morning from uh, Coffee with Cannon, today is my 10-year anniversary retired from the NYPD. I've been out 10 years today. Out a sense of humor, I retired on Halloween. <laughs> but uh, anyway, tonight we're going to talk about, I don't know if, uh, if you guys saw it, but Alec Baldwin went on TV. Some paparazzi were following him around, his family around in New Hampshire, and he felt the necessity of getting out and making a statement. And in this statement, he spoke about several things. And we're gonna we're gonna play the um, we're gonna play the video of him talking to the press. He seemed obviously, I'm sure he's still very upset about what had occurred. He seems very high stress, very uptight. You know, a type A, a type A person that's very uh, upset, but he said a bunch of things that we're going to talk about. And as far as this investigation goes, um, f- we've we've dissected this a bunch of times. Uh, we, we've had some experts on. Uh, Attorney Joe Murray's been with, with on us on the show with us before, and we've pulled this apart. One of the things I said, and early on in the investigation, so did Phil Grimaldi. We've been involved in big investigations like this, and it's so so very important to have enough personnel to interview everyone at the scene. And apparently that was not done because at the very least, the 16 people that were inside that church where the shooting occurred, we don't know if in fact they got to interview all of them on that night, because right now they're calling to re-interview Hannah uh, Gutierrez, who was the, uh, the armorer. And once you miss, you don't get the interview that day, you're done. She's never coming back. She's got counsel. So for the police there to say, oh, we want to re-interview her, that's not happening. No attorney worth his his bar, worth his license to the bar, is going to let his client be re-interviewed by the police. So I said before that night, they got to get all these interviews slam dunk that night. They have to have them interviewed as long as it takes. They have to sign it. They have to get all the necessary information. I was on Ashley Banfield, and she was talking about fingerprinting the firearm. That wasn't necessary. All you had to do was show each one of them the firearm and ask them, is this the firearm? This serial number on this firearm, is this the firearm you you fired, Alec? Yes, it is. Okay, sign that in your statement. They bring the same firearm to Miss Gutierrez. Is this the firearm that you handed to the assistant director, David Halls? Yes, it is. That's in her statement. David Halls. Is this the gun you handed to Alec Baldwin? Yes, boom. No need for fingerprints. And then the the slam dunk identifier is the ballistic evidence taken out of the shoulder of uh, the uh, the director. 
and it, it went through uh, Alana, Halanya, and it went through her body and hit him in the shoulder. And the doctors removed it. Now that evidence can be compared to the barrel of the gun slam dunk. The gun is identified 100%. So things like that are the evidence. And as far as all the interviews, they should have completed all those interviews that night. I know it, it seemed like an impossible situation. You got 100 people. You know something? Then you got to bring 50 detectives. And I know probably uh, they don't have access in Santa Fe, New Mexico, to 50 detectives. But you know something? That's the way it should be done. And until you interview everyone, you can't let them leave. Because once they leave, you're never going to get an accurate statement ever again. Phil, comments? Well, before I get into it, I just want to congratulate you, Bill, on your 10 years being retired. God bless. That's a really beautiful thing. I hope your wife is feeling better. I know we've been touching base. She's doing better. And also, I want to congratulate better. you for your uh, your two episodes that you did on Friday night. Where I think it was with Newsmax, Bill. Is that the uh, station? Yeah. Especially uh, Banfield? News, news Nation. I keep mixing news it up. Okay. News yeah, Nation. I, I, yeah. I, I, I confused it myself, but I, I watched uh, one of them actually, and you did great. And uh, congratulations on that. Thank as you far so much. as the, the identification of the firearm, I think you hit it. There's no, no further explanation on that. The firearm in question would be shown to them. Is this the firearm that you handed to Mr. Baldwin? And then, like you said, backtrack from Halls to uh, Gutierrez. And, and that's really, you know, there's no need for uh, fingerprints. And again, we talked about before we were even on the air how uh, fingerprints, a, a gun doesn't uh, accommodate uh, a surface that you can easily lift fingerprints off of because most guns are uh, coated in oils and the uh, fingerprints are left from the oils in your skin. So uh, to lift it is very difficult. It would smudge it. Uh, like you said, you had uh, noted that uh, there was only uh, two occurrences in 10 years where they were able to lift a fingerprint off of uh, a firearm. Some firearms are chrome-plated. There's, there's not a need for uh, for oiling on those type. But uh, again, the identification of the firearm is really irrelevant. It's identified. This is the gun. And again, like you said, they'll recover the ballistic evidence from uh, Mr. Sosa's shoulder. They'll compare it to uh, the barrel uh, riflings of that uh, 45, uh, Colt 45. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, his statement, if we're, if we're going to go into the statement, I mean, that statement to me, uh, I said it to you in text earlier, Bill, he was just digging himself a deeper hole. He didn't come across as being uh, sympathetic towards the family. I mean, he said she was my family. Not, this is a man that took someone's life. He's responsible for taking someone's life, accident on purpose, whatever. He is the person that's responsible for the death of Helena Hutchins. Bottom line, that's it. Now, me personally, I don't know if I would be talking to the media like that in such a, uh, you know, a, a brash way. I think his statements, and we'll get into it with Joe. I'm sure that you're going to want to comment on what I'm about to say, Joe. Those seem like self-serving statements to me. If that would, God forbid, would have been me, all I would have said is I'm not going to make any comments. I just want to extend condolences to Helena Hutchins' family, her son and, and her husband. That's it. And I would I would have poured my heart out for sympathy because that's what he should be feeling. I I'm sure he is, but he didn't show that in that uh, that extended interview that he did with Fox News. So uh, all right, let let me play the video and then Joe, I'm going to have you comment on it because he says a few things in there that uh, definitely uh, has to do with attorney client privilege that type of thing. Okay, so let me. Uh... This weekend, Alec Baldwin breaking his silence. What do you want to know? Speaking to media for the first time since he fired a deadly shot on set of the independent film, Rust. Ordered by the Sheriff's Department 
in Santa Fe. I can't answer any questions about the investigation. I can't. Baldwin routinely talks. Joe, would a sheriff's department ever order a um, a person who is well? He potentially could be charged criminally. Would the sheriff's department order him not to talk? No. What they generally do is ask not to share the information about the investigation because, like you said, they probably didn't have the manpower to do all these interviews. And you want to interview people separately. You don't want them to hear what someone else said. So they could have asked him, but they're under no obligation. There's no gag order. There's no judge signed order saying he can't talk. He has an absolute right to talk to whoever he wants to. And I'm sure his attorney told him, do not discuss this whatsoever. And he's just hiding behind that request from law enforcement. But it would be appropriate for a law enforcement officer investigating this to say to him not to share the details of what happened because Obviously, they have other interviews to do. You know, Joe, I have told people involved in high-profile cases that were in the, the limelight of the press, I would say, you know, in your, for your best interest, don't talk to the press. It's not in your interest. But I had no authority to order them not to, yeah. and neither can the Santa Fe police order him. Because there's no gag order. That's right. an out-and-out lie. Uh, yeah. Should his attorneys have told him not to talk to anyone? 100%. Steve, yeah. Steve Cologne, uh, thank you so much for the 499 Stupid Chat. And he says, let's start this off right way. Congrats, Sergeant Bill, on 10 years retired. The podcast continues to improve, and we love tuning in. Congrats on 10. Thank you so much, uh, you. Steve Cologne. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I so, concur, Bill. Oh, thanks. Let me, let me continue playing this. Investigators. I talk to the cops every day. Along with the husband of the late cinematographer, Helena oh, Hutchins. And he is in shock. He's a nine-year-old son. You know, we are, you know, in constant contact with him. The encounter, at times, emotionally charged. You guys, you guys, you know what? No details. Do, do, do me a favor. I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer the question. The famed 30 Rock actor and his wife Hilaria aggravated when photographers struggled to remember Hutchins' name. Helena. Yes, her name is Helena. If you're spending this much time waiting for us, you, you should know, know her, her name. name. Her name is Helena. She was my friend. She was my friend. Earlier this month, authorities say Baldwin mistakenly fired live ammo on set, striking Hutchins in the chest. Moments earlier, the assistant director had yelled, cold gun, meaning the weapon was safe to use. Still, Baldwin defending the production. We were a very, very, you know, well-oiled. That is an out-and-out just lie. We were a very, very well-oiled production. That is so untrue. People were quitting the day before this incident occurred because of the safety on that set. So him to say that we were a very, very well-oiled production is just just doesn't pass the smell test, as they say. Let me continue with this. We were a very, very, you know, well-oiled crew shooting a film together, and then this horrible event happened. Some crew members on the ground say otherwise, walking upset shortly before the shooting over safety concerns, according to a source familiar with the matter. But Russ Movies Productions writing, we were not made aware of any official complaints. The 63-year-old now turning his attention to what this tragedy means for the industry. So what has to happen now is we have to realize that when it does go wrong, and it's this horrible, catastrophic thing, some new measures have to take place. And as you heard, Baldwin called Helena Hutchins his friend, saying. So, again, I think that instead of uh, there's not a lot of um, him owning this, 
you know, him owning his actions, him taking responsibility for his actions. And I, you know, I totally understand uh, this was a horrible tragedy. And I do feel for Alec Baldwin. But at the same time, this this action was the result of sloppiness, of flouting the rules, of there being no rules, of them following no safety procedures. So all of a sudden, they're going to point at the procedures and what occurred. And there's been 10,000 guns fired in the history of Hollywood. Yeah, but in the history of Hollywood, I believe onset deaths that I can think of, there's been three uh, that I can. And, and this one was caused by gross negligence, in my opinion. 100%, Billy. And he made two statements in there that I think are just outright not true. The one you just uh, cited that uh, it was a well-oiled machine. Meanwhile, people were quitting. Shots were accidentally being fired from these uh, weapons that they were using. And then right in the beginning when he says that uh, um, he's talking to the police every day, that's nonsense. That's total bullshit. What lawyer would let him talk to the police every day? No one. That's that not, is a, a lie. lie. He it's couldn't even, Phil, if we studied his body language, he couldn't even lie well. He was almost like acting as he was saying this. You yeah, know? And yeah. the fact, I don't believe he's calling Elena, Helena Hutchins' uh, husband every day. First of all, if I was Helena Hus- Hutchins' husband, I wouldn't want to hear from the guy who shot course, my wife. Of course. You know? Accident or not, you, you, you wouldn't, you know, he's, the, he's, the, uh, he's the, the, the avenue that caused his wife's, uh, his wife's death. And, and, you know, maybe if it was a true accident down the line, maybe you could find some forgiveness. But right now, when, when he's, you know, just days away from it, I, I doubt he's talking to them every day. That sounds like bullshit, too. Well, just from a criminal dispense, uh, criminal dispense, criminal defense perspective, I'm looking at this. These are all potential witnesses who are going to testify if he is charged, and if they did get on the stand and they're asked whether by the prosecutor or the defense attorney, did you talk to Mr. Ball? And yes, he called me. He called me every day. So whether he's doing it sincerely or doing it just to prepare. For what may be inevitable, it's something that the jury will hear. Similarly with the police. Maybe he's just calling them to say, hey, how are things going? Is there anything going on? Just so that he can say, or these witnesses will have to respond. If asked, Mr. Baldwin was cooperative. He was in constant contact with us just to present to the jury uh, someone who is deeply concerned and cooperating with the investigation. Although he may not be sharing any new information, they, they, him and his attorney made a statement, and at some point they shut it down. Uh, you know, okay, we covered this enough, let's move on. So, you know, but now this kind of papering it up with calling there and, and constantly uh, asking for updates, he's going to spin that to cooperation and, and concern. So, I, I can see both sides of this. Genuinely, he would be concerned. I think if I shot someone accidentally and killed him, I would be genuinely concerned. But I think also he's got an attorney over his shoulder saying, look, if this goes bad for us, I want to make sure that when they're asked about you, that they give the right information. You know, Joe, I think that if this was, if this does become criminal, and we spoke about this before on another show, that there could be three people potentially charged. And in my opinion, I could be wrong. And those three people are Hannah Reed Gutierrez, the armorer, the uh, assistant director, David Halls, and of course, Alec Baldwin, who pulled the trigger. 
You know, some news stations reported almost like the gun just went off. The gun did it, you know, and for you folks that don't know much about guns, don't guns don't just go off. Guns go off when someone pulls the trigger. So someone on CNN said that they said, oh, the gun just, you know, uh, just went off when it was in his hand. No, he pulled the trigger. And that's how the it gun went handed to Mr. Baldwin went off. And uh, yes, you know, that, that's right. And that's it. right. That's not what happened. So there is culpability. There is liability here. And, you know, to, to, he must accept responsibility. He's already talking about he's going to get behind this new safety regulations. Now, let's talk about this instance, because this instance went horribly wrong. The future we're going to take care of, because there should never, ever be another set like Rust handling firearms so cavalierly and so with no safety standards whatsoever. Let's talk about that. Let's not talk about the future. I know you want to forget about this, and I don't blame you, but let's talk about exactly what happened. Phil, comments. Reckless disregard for safety. That's the only way I can put it. Uh, he is living a fantasy if he's uh, talking about a well-oiled machine. There was people that quit. They, uh, the previous armorer quit. And I stated before, there were shots that were fired accidentally. Now, when he's handed that gun, if it's in a cocked position, I said this in the last show we did, very minimal amount of pressure to get that gun to fire, to hit that trigger. Now, is it possible he was? it was handed to him and as he was uh, staging for this uh, shot that they were trying to get of him, uh, pointing the gun at the camera. Uh, yeah, it's possible he accidentally hit it, didn't take much pressure, but the gun was still in his hand. And when you're, you know, when you're holding a, a real gun, whether it be loaded with blanks or whether it be loaded with uh, heavy ammunition, real, you know, live ammunition, there's still a safety concern because a, a gun that has a full charge with blanks, as Steve Gardell told us previously on uh, the, the last two shows that we did about this, uh, you could still be injured. So, you know, he he's, again, self-serving statements is what I see with those statements in that, uh, in that interview. And again, I'm going to stress it again, reckless disregard for safety. Steve Cologne, good question. Do we know were they shooting a scene or what, was he just playing around? No, he was rehearsing a scene. The camera was not live or else this whole thing would have been caught on camera. But he was practicing what he was going to do in the actual live scene. And that's another thing. If he was practicing, why would he have pulled the trigger if he was rehearsing the scene? That that was That's never been explained either. And uh, go ahead, go ahead, Bill. You, you, you know what, Billy? Uh, I think that that would explain for... Hutchins and Souza being shot because they would be uh, normally the the, uh, the AD, uh, the, the director of photography, I'm sorry, the director of photography, which uh, Hutchins was, would either be behind the monitor or behind the camera. So apparently she must have been in somewhere in the area of the camera. And again, the, uh, the director, the AD, is behind the camera as well, usually. And they're looking at the shot uh, right on the camera. Now, if he was pointing it directly at the camera, that would be wrong. You're not supposed to point it directly at the camera. They cheat. It's called cheating the shot where he's a little off to the side. And that might be right where Hutchins and Sousa were standing. And again, if they handed him, uh, there was no reason in, in, in a rehearsal to hand him a gun with any ammunition at all. It could have just been, you know, uh, the, the pistol. Now, if they wanted to have the shot of the bullet inside the, uh, the chamber, I get it. They have specific rounds. Steve explained that the other day that you put in there and it has what looks like a, uh, 
a projectile on the tip of it and into the cylinder. The camera can see that. But to hand him a cocked gun, I don't even know if it was cocked when it was handed him, but apparently uh, it could have been. And to hand him a cocked gun and they're standing there and they're only a few feet away, it's dangerous with, with a, a blank. It's dangerous with a blank. Phil, those blank. Are, these are the on the screen. Those are the type of uh, dummy are, rounds that you're those, referring to. That's a blank. That is exactly a blank. It has a full gunpowder charge. It has a primer charge. And the top of the shell casing is crimped so as to not let anything escape from from the uh, if there's any you know maybe a big piece of gunpowder or something and then you, you have the firearm there now that's that's a cocked 45 caliber colt and if that trigger is pulled pulled with a, as little as one and a half to two pounds of pressure the firing pin will strike the the primer which will ignite the gunpowder inside the gun and send the projectile through the barrel you know phil we've spoke about this too uh, when a gun is cocked it takes very very little pressure to pull that trigger. Extremely in fact, dangerous. We were trained as police officers when we're approaching a dangerous situation, not to have our finger on the trigger, but to have it outside the trigger guard. Because if you did, if you did have to pull the trigger and get into a shooting, it would take less than a split second to get your finger into the position to pull the trigger. Billy, that's a great point. I could remember numerous times being on the range and there would be shouts, you know, after every volley of shots, finger off the trigger, finger off the trigger. And the reason being is when you have your finger on the trigger, there's certain reflexes. If you happen to get pushed or hit from behind and you're trying to, you know, prevent yourself from falling, you're going to squeeze that trigger. That's how accidental discharges occur. So they want you, like you said, it takes a split second to remove your index finger from the side of the, the strap of the, of the firearm to the trigger it takes probably a tenth of a second and that's the way we're trained that's the way we always draw the weapon if you draw you're going into a dangerous situation you draw your weapon you keep your finger off the trigger at the point when you're going to engage someone that's when your finger goes on the trigger you know uh some folks in the chat are talking about th this this firearm this 45 was an italian made 45 i think it was a period piece so it was probably uh an older gun and they're, they're talking about that. Could it just go off? No, a, a gun doesn't just go off without someone pulling the trigger, even if it's cocked. Even when it's cocked, it takes much less pressure to go off. But it just doesn't go off uh, unless you pull the trigger. Now, uh, Joe, I wanted to ask you a couple of things. Um, one of them, of course, everyone is 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 holding their breath. Is anyone going to be criminally charged? And would you explain the involuntary uh, manslaughter law to us. And maybe if you can't explain the one from New Mexico, just explain the one to New York, because I'm sure they're very similar. Yeah, there's, uh, that's a great question. And I have to start with retired Sergeant Steve Gardell. He is an expert. He's been doing this for years. After listening to him and hearing his explanation I can see how valuable he would be to both prosecutor and defense. And let me explain why. We're talking about those three people, the armorer, number one, because the armorer, I believe, should have custody and control over that weapon, should be the one to load it, unload it, make it safe, whatever the scene requires, put three uh, blanks in it, you know, whatever it is that the scene requires, and then go right to the actor show the actor this gun has been modified, it's safe, or this gun has not been modified and is capable of uh, firing a projectile, the armorer would be the person to advise the actor 
what that gun is capable of doing and doing and show it to the actor because you know he made a great point a lot of these actors are terrified about firing something directly at someone so they often as philly pointed out they cheat the angle and they don't point it at it but they still are concerned steve said that an armor will sometimes dry fire with the blank at his hand just to show this is a harmless gun to make the actor put at ease that they're not firing a real gun. So when you do that and you show the armorer who has that custody and control of the weapon, knows what it's been loaded with, what, which is required for that scene, and then gives it to the actor and then instructs the actor, don't go anywhere after this scene, I'm gonna recover it from you. That's safety, that's a safety protocol. When you deviate from that safety protocol, that's where liability comes in, both civil and criminal. Now, we know that in this instance, the AD took the firearm and allegedly made the claim that it's a cold gun when he handed it uh, to Mr. Baldwin. Now, that is a deviation from the standard of care because it is the armorer that's supposed to take that weapon who has constant custody and control over it, knows what's in it or not in it, and then gives it to the, the actor. So that deviation about the AD gives the AD liability because we don't know if the AD spoke with the armor, checked the firearm, or just relied on the fact that, oh, it's on the table, it must be safe. So that person has li liability. Now, Alec Baldwin, a veteran actor who's been, you know, acting a long time, been on sets, whether it's himself firing the weapon or being shot at, knows how this process works. So the fact that he did not receive this weapon from the armorer should have raised a red flag for him. I can't just rely on this person, the AD, because I see him running all over the place. He's not the guy who's got custody and control of that weapon, I have to make sure that it's a safe firearm. I think Baldwin has liability. Now, here's another person that has liability that we haven't talked about. Steve, in his explanation, which I thought was beautiful, this was a rehearsal scene. And he made a point of saying that because of the camera angles, sometimes the person will be right behind like Baldwin pushing the gun because they want to get the right angle to show it's so much bigger if it's in the corner of the shot. So maybe Baldwin did point the weapon on that angle that Philly talked about cheating. So you're not pointing at the person. And then it was adjusted by whoever it was, you know, that that's in charge of that shot, maybe even the AD, adjusting that firearm that put the firearm in the line of fire of the person. That person may have liability because they, they adjusted the shot right at, you know, uh, uh, what's the name, Haley. So I, I think there's a possibility for all three. Now, when you talk about charging, it has to be a gross deviation that you perceived a substantial and unjustifiable risk of causing harm or, or death, and you disregarded it. 
And that would be, okay, wait a second. I don't normally get the gun from an AD. So it's possible this may not be the protocol and I should check it, but I disregarded it and I fired it anyway. Now, just the deviation of the standard of care is not enough. It has to be a gross deviation. Now, you talked about handing somebody a cocked firearm. In my opinion, having handled firearms for years, that's a gross deviation. You never hand someone a cocked single-action firearm because it could go off so you know, something, Joe, that's a great, great point, and we should have all thought of that. Shame on me and, and Phil to have not. You're right. Someone hands you a cocked firearm. You're like, what are you doing? That would be the first right. thing we would say. Of are course, you kidding of me? Now, Philly, do you have to exit? Because I know you. No, I just got to make a point to uh, a correction, actually, Joe. Steve yeah. actually called me on this the day after we did our last show. It's not a blank that you can fire at your hand. If you fire a blank charge at your hand, you're going you're gonna to damage your hand. It's, it, it'll cause an injury. Um, the, the, the round he was talking about, there's several different rounds. There's the blanks that Billy showed in the picture earlier. There's ones that have just a primer load, meaning just the primer. It almost sounds like a cap gun. That has right. absolutely nothing uh, propelling out of the gun as far as uh, energy. It's very, very little energy. So that's the type that he said would actually be dry fire. That was a little bit of a correction I just wanted to make on that. Sure. Um, the, no, the, blanks, the blanks do have a full charge. So you could be, the, the, the standard in, uh, in uh, New York is you have to be 20 feet away if a blank is being fired. The reason for that is 20 feet away is a safe distance where you're not going to get any little spackling of gunpowder or something could hit you in the eye. Uh, and then the force of the concussion, uh, there was an actor that put the gun to his head with a blank and he, co he caused actually a piece of his skull to uh, create a, a, a hemorrhage in his brain. It broke off the piece of his skull, uh, the concussion, and it caused a brain injury. He was killed. He died playing around with a gun. So there, there are several types of bullets that they use. Steve went through them, but the, it's not a blank that they would fire at their hand. I, I just want to make that correction. So if someone has the occasion to be uh, have a blank gun and they, they fire it into the hand, you're going to get injured. Uh, blanks are not to be played with. It's supposed to be treated just like a real round, obviously. You know, I, I just had to, I actually heard the doorbell ring and I do have some trick-or-treaters, but, but, you know, I'm always thinking I left a basket with candy outside on the stage. <laughs> That's why I'm in the yard. I, I anticipated because my, my doorbell usually is around this time is when it starts ringing with the kids and everything. And, you know, rather than have the dog barking and all of that, I, uh, that's why I came out in the yard today. And Philly, you know what I heard that Joe Murray gives for Halloween? <laughs> Fifty dollar bi bills he gives these kids. I'm going right to his house. What's your address? <laughs> What's your address, Joe? Yeah, I'm, I'm heading there too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Billy, I hate to cut short, but I do have another engagement that I have to. And I'm I'm in the backyard, and right underneath where I'm sitting, above my head, there's the exhaust fan from my wife's Sunday sauce that's cooking. So I'm going to go in, grab a little chow quick, and then I'm going to take off. So right, I'm going gonna, gonna to eggs out. Thank you for having me, Billy. Everybody stay safe. Joe, I'm not going to be able to read your commercial, so uh, we're going to have to wing right, it, I guess. Right. That's all right. right. Take all care, right, guys. Thank you. I'll talk to you Thank later. You. Joe, take care. Okay. Happy Halloween. Joe, you know, I, I wanted to get into, uh, you know, you started doing the deep dive into involuntary manslaughter. And that's what every, of course, everyone is interested in what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And we all know that civilly, they're destroyed. The movie company, they're never going to finish this movie. They're done. 
They're, I don't know what, what kind of insurance they have, but they're going to part with millions and millions because there is gross, gross negligence here. Yeah. And yeah. when Alec Baldwin said in that interview, we're a well-oiled machine, what, what, what are you smoking, dude? You got to be mistake. kidding me. That was a that, mistake. If I was his personal attorney, I'd be upset with that statement because a well-oiled machine means that everyone did their job and the defect must have been with him. Right. Because when you yeah. talk about what each person does and their responsibility, if they're a well-oiled machine, there wouldn't have been an era where someone put a live round into a live firearm, you know, and, and I would rather have the people here that maybe we weren't so well oiled. And that's what led to my getting this gun, you know, but I think that was a mistake to even uh, mention that. Well, you know, Joe, one of the, I, and I, Ed nausea might bring this up because I've been in major, major investigations where hundreds of people had to be interviewed. You can never, ever, ever let someone go home. As long as it takes, everyone has to be interviewed that night. You have to lock them into a statement. I cannot believe that right now, Hannah Gutierrez, and if this is true, she wants to, the police want to re-interview. Re-interview? No. What she said that day should have been, you should have covered every single area, every single escape route she possibly would make an excuse for. Should The door should have been slammed that day by the investigator. You Show know, her really, the gun. You're 100% right. And I think it probably was giving the benefit of the doubt of law enforcement. But as you know, when you do a re-interview, it's because you have a con contradiction that you want to confront that person with. Right. But, yeah. you know, Joe, Joe, let me just tell you something. You're right. You're 100% right. But that night, I would have spent most of my time on Alec Baldwin, on Miss Gutierrez, and, of course, on David Hall's. Right. And I would have compared all three statements, and I wouldn't let have let either one leave till I confronted them with the other person's statement without them knowing that that's what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? That's how you get the truth. Because now, if you do not challenge them with the truth as you know it from witness A, mm -hmm. compare that to witness B, and compare that to witness C, people lie. We all know yeah. that, right? How do you catch someone in a lie? By the truth. Present yeah. them with the truth. And that's why even when I was on the TV show Banfield, I wanted to say this, but I didn't get a chance. The way you identify that gun is to have each one of them say, yes, that's the gun. How do you know? Well, I recognize this, or I recognize that, this marking, or, or I know the serial number. I wrote down the serial number. And what was you the do issue? that. There was no. Fingerprints done on the gun. There, there was no. Well, uh, no, but they, they shouldn't. They should. They shouldn't try to fingerprint the gun, for the very reason I said earlier is that, you know, the NYPD in a ten year, ten years of fingerprinting guns has a two percent hit ratio on fingerprints on guns, and yeah. uh, the reason being, of course, that Phil uh, explained it earlier, fingerprints are made from the oils on your skin. Once you fire a gun, it gets hot. And that dissipates the oils. Voila, fingerprint gone. Also, the surface to a gun doesn't lend itself to having fingerprints lifted from it. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons. And uh, another TV person said, oh, why wasn't everyone uh, tested for gunshot res residue? There is no law enforcement organization in this country that routinely does that. And you're going to test 100 people for gunshot residue because – 
They may have fired a gun two days ago. Don't you think they've taken a shower and washed their hands and all of that? You know, and because someone doesn't have it on their hands, does that make it make them innocent? And I could use your I could use your little limerick. Uh, absence of, of evidence is not evidence of absence. You know, and there's there's the perfect uh, time Scenario. you can use that. You know, yeah. yeah. So well, that's go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. I do have a problem though, as a defense attorney. I'm going to jump all over that. Wait a minute. You didn't do fingerprints. So the person who put this live round in there, because you haven't found that person, you could have found them had you done fingerprints and found a match to that person who put the live round in, maybe off the cylinder or off the, the back strap somewhere, you know? So that's something that if I was Baldwin's attorney and uh, or even the, the armorer who says, no, there is no way I, I put that gun together. Nobody else touched it. But if you don't do fingerprints to try to eliminate the possibility of another third party print on there, you're kind of creating some doubt. Well, you, you like defense attorneys love to use that, the fingerprints. But I, as I just explained, I just want to mention someone in the chat, Coca Pelli says, you have to cock that gun for it to shoot. We're aware of that. We are aware that that was a, a single action 45. However, you do not deliver the gun cocked to the assistant director and you do not deliver the gun cocked to the actor. If the actor, and especially because he's rehearsing with it, you're rehearsing with a gun and it's cocked. That makes no sense. When you go live and if you actually do have to fire it, and of course you're counting on the fact that there's a blank in this gun, in this instance, there was a live round in it. So how dangerous was it to deliver a cocked gun that's in single action mode? It only fires single action. How dangerous is it to deliver that live gun? And no, it wasn't a cold gun. It was live. How dangerous is that, Joe? Yeah, that's gross negligence, in my opinion. That That's an easy one. You know, a gun that's cocked, single action, and you're going to hand it off to someone? No way. Yeah. So district attorney, the district attorney is going to look at that and say, yeah, this is a gross deviation of, of, of safety, mm -hmm. delivering a cocked gun. Who did this? Was it the armorer or did the assistant director, after taking the gun, uh, as the armorer claims, he took the gun off the table. But that's her fault, too, because she's supposed to be in control of those firearms. She's the armorer. Does yeah, he take it off the table and then cock it and then hand it to Alec Baldwin? Just Joe, you're an attorney. Gross deviations. Folks, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go to our YouTube, subscribe, hit the uh, thumbs up, ring that bell. As you could see, we're doing a deep dive into these cases. And guess what? We know what we're talking about. I see a lot of people uh, that take a dive into this case do not have the investigative experience as the people on this show. And uh, also always great to have an attorney come in and 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 talk about uh, the law. And one of the things is everyone, of course, we're talking about this all the time, is someone going to be prosecuted? That's what everyone wants to know. And when Alec Baldwin made this statement on television, it's part of his personality. He doesn't listen to anyone. He has that arrogance that he knows better. And I'm sure his attorney told him, do not make any statements. Do not talk to anyone. And just even some of the statements he made were not truthful. The mm. uh, the police didn't prohibit him from talking. They may have suggested it. Don't give interviews. Don't talk to anyone. But they cannot. You know, 
ahead, his Joe. wife jumping in, his uh, wife jumping in, I think is evidence of the fact that he should not be speaking. And she was probably present when his attorney told him not to speak, uh, particularly to the press. So she tried to just take that away from him. So any statements she makes are really just, you know, hearsay. So uh, trying to shield him and he and his, I think, ego got in the way and he wanted to make a statement and, you know, kind of pushed her to the side a couple of times so that he could make his statement. Uh, but I think it's dangerous. It's dangerous whenever you have your client speaking directly, especially on on video. You know, that could be played in court. You know, yeah, one hundred percent. You know, and uh, you know the other thing I wanted to speak about and um, <clears throat> is Hannah Gutierrez, the armorer. Now all of a sudden, it seems like she's speaking through the press. I want to talk again. I want to tell you what really happened. Mm. But to me, that's first of all, her attorneys should also say to her, "Shut up, shut your mouth." Yeah. You know, you had a chance to talk and. And if you don't get charged, or if if they're going to charge you, and they're going to charge Alec Baldwin, and they're going to charge David Halls, there's a thing called the grand jury presentation. And as an attorney, you know, if she's that innocent, you may have her testify. Mm-hmm. Would you speak to that, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. I put people in the grand jury all the time. Uh, not 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 all the time, but there are times when you have somebody who who may not even have a record. And the, the evidence is good and favorable in their, you know, in, in a light favorable to them. You want the grand jury. Matter of fact, when I got arrested, I testified at the grand jury. Grand jury is a great tool. You can end the case, you know, and, and it's just you and the prosecutor and the grand jury is no judge. Joe, will you stop will you stop bragging about getting arrested and beating the case? <laughs> <laughs> an arrest is only an accusation. I was accused. <laughs> but no, no but I, jury is a great tool to, to, to right. do that, you know? No, I, absolutely. But, you know, something, if if, if Miss Gutierrez is that innocent and she really wants her day in court, she can testify in, in front of the grand jury. And if she doesn't get indicted, if the grand jury doesn't bring down a no true bill, she's free as far as the criminal prosecution goes. It is a gamble, though, because remember... The, the state has the burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt. You, as the defendant, don't have to say a word. And quite often, I'll remind juries of that, and I'll tell them he did testify. When he was arrested at his arraignment, he said, I'm not guilty. And now it's their job to prove that he is guilty. So you lose that when you testify at the grand jury. Man, you're what you one slide you're one slide defense attorney with that statement, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're giving that up kind of when you testify at the grand jury, you know, so they can now ask you anything when you're in there. It's it's uh it's a tough thing to do, especially if you have some prior bad acts or something, prior convictions. Uh, it, it could come out. So, if, Joe, if I'm going to give this. I'm going to give this another play because I think it's important. We give it a little more dissection than we already have. Okay. Mm-hmm. She was my friend. She was my friend. Alec Baldwin on camera for the first time since the deadly movie set shooting in New Mexico. I'm not allowed to make any comments because it's an ongoing investigation. I've been ordered by the sheriff's department in Santa Fe. I can't. 
So we know that's not true. The sheriff's yeah, department in no way ordered him. His attorneys can suggest do not talk to anyone, right. but you're a grown man. If you disregard our advice, uh, right. you know, you're you're a master of your own destiny and, you, you know, you're going to pay for it if you speak. In an impromptu interview, the 63-year-old beside his wife, Hilaria, telling photographers the Ross production will not continue, calling the tragic death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins one in a trillion. There are incidental accidents uh, on film sets uh, from time to time, but nothing like this. This is a one in a trillion. So incidental accidents, is that what this was? Joe, was that, is that what this was? Yeah, this is this is recklessness. I don't know any other way to characterize it. Somebody was not doing their job. And, you know, when you're dealing with firearms, particularly a live firearm, and somehow there's live ammunition, I don't even know how it would be in the same building, but there's live, live ammunition, you got to be on your toes. And if you, the armorer, are in charge of this weapon, that weapon is in your custody and whatever happens to it is up to you. You know, you're the person uh, that loads it, that prepares it and then gives it to the actor, how that got away. You know, the only thing I could think about, cause I try to do this. I try to just hypothesize about, you know, how this could have gone bad like this. And I did, I don't, like to put facts out that have not been vetted, but wasn't there reports that they were shooting this firearm earlier in the day? I don't know if it was that day or, or a day before or two days before, but this this same firearm had been used for target practice. I think that's been confirmed. I don't know yeah. if it was the day before that day, but which means there's live ammo on this movie set. Yeah. That's that's horrible. And then the person who loaded this firearm mistakenly put in the live ammo. And as you know, the live ammo could look very much like the hollowed out one, except for shaking it and having that pellet in it. Um, you know, not not that the dummy rounds. Would, you know, when they put the the projectile back in it, they put because they want to yes. show it from the close right. angle. So that would look a lot like a real round and, you know, maybe somebody, uh, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that this AD, because the armor was not there and they were just rehearsing, like they weren't shooting and they were just rehearsing. So the AD assumed those rounds that were right there and maybe he loaded it and said, yo, it's a cold gun. I put, the, you know, the dummy rounds in it. So I, I'm really curious to see what factual scenario they're going to, you know, say happened there. Uh, the armorer may not have been involved in that. You know? But, Joe, you know, for my, for my whole thing that I've been harping on is that's why the interviews are so, so important. Yeah. And to lock people down that day, because once they leave and they get a chance to think, get a chance to get advice, get a chance to confer with an attorney – their whole story is going to tell is going to excuse me is going to change because they may now realize what they said was incriminating them and now they want to change it you know well don't forget too those three of course you know the possibility that they all spoke before this all hit hit the fan but then you have everyone else and you know from doing the perfect murder how crowded that 
that shooting is with all the tech people and camera people, light people, sound people. So I'm sure they did those three interviews and maybe their stories were consistent, but now doing the secondary round of interviews of all the other people, they're finding inconsistencies. And that's why the call back, hey, we need to, whoa, we got we to talk about this. Come back but, in. But Joe, the, the inconsistencies are because of now they realize that their culpability and yeah. the fact that what they said is incriminating. And mm -hmm. shame, on, shame on the police if they didn't lock them into statements that show exactly where to code. Let me finish this, uh, his, his yeah. statement here. The actor-producer sharing his concern for Hutchins' family, saying he's talked repeatedly with her husband. He is in shock. He has a nine-year-old son. You know, we are you know, in constant contact with him because we're very worried about his family and his, his kid. And uh, as I said, we're, we're, we're eagerly awaiting for the sheriff's department to tell us what the investigation has yielded. The encounter at times intense. It was even awkward. Excuse me. Baldwin shooing his wife away at one point. You guys, you know what? No details. Do, do me a favor. I'm going to ask the question. The famed 30 Rock actor fired the deadly shot, according to authorities, after he was handed a prop gun mistakenly with a real bullet inside. The assistant director yelling cold gun, meaning it was safe to use. Still, Baldwin defending the production. We were a very, very, you know, well-oiled crew. If he believes... If he really believes that that was a very, very well-oiled production, then uh, I don't know what he's smoking, because uh, that was anything but a well-oiled production. Shooting a film yeah. together, this horrible event happened. A characterization in sharp contrast to what others on the ground have recalled. A source familiar with the matter saying some crew members walked off set shortly before the shooting over safety concerns. The Russ Movies Productions, having said previously, we were not made aware of any official complaints concerning weapon or prop safety on set. Baldwin now turning his attention to a broader look at change in the industry. See, he shouldn't be talking what has to happen now. He's got his own concerns. The future mm -hmm. will take care of itself because, look, we know from the police department, every time some screw up happened, they would write a new patrol guide procedure, right? Yeah. Oh, for now, yeah. for now on, you're going to do this, and then, but you can't really dictate the rules for everything. There has to be, basically, things have to be policed, you know. Yeah, I mean, common Man. sense and due care, doing your job, you know, maintaining the custody of that firearm. I really do put a lot of this with the armor that that gun should have never been left on a tray or on a table in any way for the AD to take it. He should have had to take it from her. Like she had to unlock it and give it to him. How well? Yeah, like from, a, like from a safe or a lockbox yeah. or something. Yeah, and it's a real firearm capable of firing live rounds. I just don't, I think that's gross negligence right there, that it was not secured in some way, you know? And guns may be legal there, that's fine, but... You're, you have a heightened duty here because you're dealing with, you know, actors who are going to be firing at people. So I, I think it was really a lot of this is going to fall on her because the custody and control of that weapon was left to her. And now the AD, of course, not receiving it from her and just grabbing it off a table, he's going to have liability because he gave false information.
to Mr. Baldwin. Now, Mr. Baldwin, just because we learned from Sergeant Gardell that they're not supposed to aim directly at the person and they're supposed to cheat the angle. You know, there was a guy on CNN I watched just before coming on who was some kind of expert or specialist. And he said, look, even if he had a bazooka that was firing it downrange, if he's not aiming at the actor or, or you know, the, the person, he can't hit him. So the fact that he aimed that gun and, and the only cheat I see here that he can argue is perhaps they were adjusting the gun while it was in his hand to get the best shot. And that caused it to go into the line of fire, um, you know, uh, with a body, you know, like not. But Joe, you know, also we spoke about if you were rehearsing, uh, your finger belongs nowhere near that trigger. Absolutely. Especially, especially a cocked firearm. I mean, it's nowhere near because it can go off so easy. Let me finish this. Uh, yeah. When it does go off, and it's this horrible, catastrophic thing, some new measures have to take place. Rubber guns, plastic guns, no live, no real operations. That's not urgent it's urgent that you understand i'm not an expert in this field so whatever other people decide is the best way to go in terms of protecting people's safety on film sets i'm all in favor of and i will cooperate with that in any way that i can the baldwin yeah. family parting with this plea so for privacy my kids are in the car crying look this is this is a uh we're human beings too uh this is a horrendous tragedy and especially for the family of Helena Hutchins, a 42-year-old woman, a beautiful woman, had a child, nine-year-old boy, married, uh, had supposedly was a rising star in the, in the movie industry. And, um, you know, when things like this happens, that's why there are laws. That's why there are police. That's why there are investigators, to find out what the hell actually happened, you know, and prevent this from ever happening again. Let's talk about – let's – Let's just do a, a what if, all right? Say Hannah Gutierrez, David Halls, and Alec Baldwin, all three of them get arrested for involuntary manslaughter. And let's move further a what if. What if all three of them get convicted? What's going to happen to them? I, I don't really know the laws out there, but, you know, in New York, they, you know, they could probably get uh, probation. You know, it depends on what charge they're convicted of. And, you know, the standard is a little different. So for reckless conduct, there has to be you're aware of a substantial and unjustifiable risk of causing the harm and you disregard it. Criminally negligence is you fail to perceive the substantial and unjustifiable risk of causing the harm. So in one instance, it's worse because you knew this could have happened and you did it anyway. Whereas in criminally negligent homicide, you're, you don't even perceive it, that that was a possibility. So that's why I think this is a reckless homicide, because who would say that there was no way I can perceive a bullet coming out of here when your own industry standard says never point the weapon at a person cheat the angle and point it somewhere else because you're always thinking it's possibly loaded even though you've checked it 
and, and been assured that it's empty, you still are required to do that. Why? Because it's a possibility. And I think that's what's going to trigger the reckless conduct. Yeah, so this well-oiled machine that Alec Baldwin claimed was anything but, if, and there was lots of uh, negligence on this film set, there was a lax attitude in the handling of firearms. And, you know, you're, you know, so uh, part B to that question, and we said this is theoretical, three of them get charged, three of them get arrested, three of them get convicted, and you said they would probably get probation. What would be the point then? To even bring criminal charges, uh, you know, this is a this is a uh, a question that criminal justice uh, scholars have been debating for years. And as you know, there's this word that appeared most recently: decarceration. There is a reluctance to put people in prison now, you know, for reckless accidental conduct, for intentional assaults and things like that. Yes, but. You know, there, there's a reluctance to, to incarcerate people now. Uh, that That's that whole uh, wokeness. But, Joe, I, I wouldn't think that a charge of, um, uh, you know, involuntary manslaughter should, in this instance, carry any jail time or prison time. I, I don't think that. It, it I could. think a lot of the, it could, but I think a lot of the suffering um, and the, and the, if you believe there's punishment, at, the, at that in yeah. the criminal justice system i think a lot of the punishment is already going on right now uh three people more than that probably having to live with a uh, unjustifiable homicide a death of of one of their co-workers uh yeah. who's totally innocent and i i you know so i don't know if justice would be served to actually maybe make the arrest and go through the go through the trial, whatever, to get the truth out there, to learn what actually happened in this instance. But I don't think it serves anyone to put the, any of these three people in jail or prison. Well, you know, you taught, you know, criminology and uh, the two goals of our criminal justice system, primary goals are uh, crime and punishment, are deterrence, because we're going to punish this person for what they did, even incarcerate them, it's going to act as a deterrence to prevent that reckless conduct from ever happening again. So good point, Joe. Very good point, yeah. And then retribution. She's not going home. Her, her, her nine-year-old, I think it's a, a, a son or a daughter. She has She's a got a nine-year-old son, I believe, yes. Yeah. Who's not going to have a mother to grow up with. Her husband is not going to have a wife. There's an imbalance in the law, and you have to pay for your crime. And that's where that came from. We all, that's part of the social contract, we all give up certain rights like self-help. You kill my wife, I'm going to kill your wife. We give that up and allow the law to handle it, but it has to be justice because if I feel like I didn't get justice, I lose faith in the system and I may become a vigilante and want to take out my own justice. So the law has to balance these interests. Deterrence is a big one, but retribution, the victim suffered a loss. That's why they say you have to pay the price. You have to you know, recreate that balance as best you can. 
whether it be serving time or, or whatever punishment you're given. And that's what the law does. And that's part of our social contract, why we don't go out there and just string them up and hang them on a tree. We let the law do it because we agree on the laws that we, we, we elect our representatives who pass these laws and we elect our chief executives to enforce these laws. And that's what society bases you know, civilization on. But if the laws are too lenient and we feel like we're not getting justice, that's where it starts to fall apart. And conversely, if it's overly punitive, that's where, you know, people reject the system on that end. So you have to find that balance. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's an important consideration. 100%. Factual breakdown. Thank you for the $5 super chat. She says, Andy, the Gabby Cabby is here and his comments are spot on. We all love police off the cuff. Well, thank you so much. We love you guys. We love you folks that are uh, members of our channel. And, uh, I see a lot of folks with the green font. You're part of the, uh, police off the cuff family. I really, uh, do wholeheartedly appreciate that. Again, I announced earlier that today is my 10 year anniversary retired from the NYPD. It's amazing that 10 years have gone by so quickly, you know, and, uh, a lot of uh, life lived during those 10 years, but uh, 10 years outside of the NYPD. Eyes wide open, new member. Thank you so much for joining our family. We really appreciate that. Again, folks, if you're not uh, subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go to our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, ring that bell, and give us a thumbs up. You know, I, this we don't we don't want to like po uh, point blame on people, but we're trying to dissect this case the way in a legal manner, the way the police, the way a prosecutor, the way a defense attorney would look at this. And we have an, a lot, a lot of experience doing these type of investigations. And I think from a police point of view, even to me, to listen to the comments of Joe Murray and Phil Grimaldi, it's fascinating. It's really fascinating because you hear a lot of stuff uh, coming out of the media and they're just... Um, it's just not very believable. Like even a lot of people were praising the New Mexico uh, police chief for his candor and coming out and talking about, and I think that's because of the Gabby Petito case and the police in Parkland, Florida weren't as forthcoming. They weren't as, um, you know, transparent in telling the public what had occurred whereas the New Mexico police chief, I think his name was Chief Mendoza. He was very forthcoming. He was very likable. He explained what was going on. But I caught some, you know, from my point of view, what I viewed as mistakes that they made during the investigation. And the big thing to me was the 15 or 16 people that were in that church when the shot was fired, they should still be there being interviewed. <laughs> and I'm exaggerating, but they should have never went home till the police were satisfied that they had everything. And they I would have maybe even taken pictures and showed them because you don't want to bring them once they're out, out of the crime scene. You never want to bring a witness back into the crime scene. Mm -hmm. Showed them pictures and just had them describe where was he standing? Where was she standing? what And what happened? What was he doing? And you could have had the witnesses. You'd have 15 or 16 statements. And that's how you get the truth. But once these people are allowed to sit together or they're allowed to go home and you're going to do the interview tomorrow, 
you're never, ever, ever going to get the truth again. You got to lock them into that truth that night. And I don't know if that was done. Uh, and I know how hard that can be because uh, logistically, the area that they may have not had enough uh, rooms to put everyone by themselves. People are not going to just volunteer. Oh, I'll go stand over there away from everyone. People don't want to be by themselves. But to do a solid investigation, you can't have people talking to each other. And you got you have to have enough investigators that they can get those interviews done. And before the people go home, once they go home, as I said, you just lost them. You lost the statement. You got to lock them in that night. It's so important. And, you know, the, the other thing about this is the insurance company, you know, as part of the contract, if you want to be covered by the insurance company, you have to participate. And, you know, even from a basic car accident, they're going to do a recorded interview of you. So I'm sure that they're out there getting their own statements and, you know, they would love to disclaim, you know, coverage of this policy because people are not cooperating because that's that's the alternative. Listen, if you want us to cover you, you have to cooperate with the investigation. So I think, you know, a lot of these statements are going to come like it or not. I would rather give a statement and be covered than not give a statement and not be covered, you know, so. Uh, if you're one of these peripheral people, I'm sure that's that's the impetus for everyone to to stand there and and you know stand by for their interview. So I think that's that's an added thing that is going to help this investigation. People who would otherwise say, "Look, I have no obligation to talk to anyone. I don't I don't need a lawyer to say I don't want to talk to you." And you got to stick with that answer. You can't force someone as a witness to to give you an answer. The only way is to subpoena them to a grand jury, give them immunity, and then you force them under the threat of uh, incarceration to testify. But outside of that, you can't force somebody to, to give a statement. And uh, I think a lot of people would have taken that option were they not in some way concerned civilly that they might be held liable and, uh, you know, the insurance company then holds the cards. Well, then you have to cooperate with us. So, yeah, that's interesting. You know, what, Joe, what, you know, 100%. And, you know, like there's people in the chat talking about people on the movie or the producer or the director. They're good people. I'm not doubting they're good people. That's not our job, investigators, to determine who's good people. Our job is to try to find out the truth and try to find out what happened. And if there's liability, uh, if there's criminality, we have to move forward with that. Whether yeah. someone was a good person or not doesn't enter into this. There's a dead woman who was 42 years old. We got to find out how did that happen? Was there negligence? Was there gross negligence? And, you know, yeah. Joe, you know, we, I'm, I'm surprised that none of us picked up on this earlier was that a cocked gun yeah. potentially could have been handed to two people. A cocked gun. That is that is such a no-no in the firearms world that it's almost laughable. If you mm -hmm. saw someone that was going to hand you a cock gun, you'd be like, hey, hey, oh, don't hand that to me. Because that gun could, all you have to do is basically breathe on that trigger, it's going to go off. You mm -hmm. pull it on that trigger, it's going off because the pound, once it's cocked, it takes maybe one pound or two pounds of pressure as compared a double action revolver, I believe, our guns, Smith & Wesson, were 14.7 pounds to pull that trigger uh, in a double-action gun. So once the gun's cocked, 
it takes very, very little to pull that trigger. So great point, Joe. And you're right. I mean, if someone was going to hand me a cock gun, I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. you know, make it safe, yeah. you know, lower that hammer, you know, and don't lower the hammer by letting it just go because it's going <laughs> to, <laughs> the pull firing, the <laughs> right. The, the don't, don't lower the hammer by pulling the trigger, right. The firing pin's going to hit the round and it's going to go off, you know. Yeah. I remember they used to do a, an exercise in the police academy uh, where you would lower the hammer on your thumb right so that you could you could uh you know let it go forward without it Make hitting it safe, the, yeah. the live round yes but I mean that's not something you practice in a classroom either because no, you, know, you would do it in that uh that steam pipe you know that, that right 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 yeah. yeah right that uh, you would may, try to make your gun safe that way and there was actually, I think, another way you could do it. You can uh, open the cylinder by pushing the cylinder release uh, lock the other direction, and it would open the cylinder, and then you could just empty the gun and then lower the hammer. Mm. You know, but uh, it's it, it's crazy. But you know, that's why these interviews. And I look, I used to marvel at how good my detectives were at getting the truth. I had the Manhattan North Homicide Squad A team, and those guys were fantastic. Or I don't think there was one of them that wasn't a great interviewer. Yeah. They all were great, and they got to the truth. And I, yeah. I would watch them doing their interviews and their interrogations, and I would actually marvel at it, at how good they were. And and when they weren't doing a great job, or when they weren't getting it, I would pull them out of the room and put someone else in there because mm -hmm. sometimes uh, a different person. Well, you know, can get information out of someone and they just don't, the person just doesn't feel it with this guy. But then you put someone else in there. Uh, right. And sure enough, it, it gets it. You know, uh, Kathleen Stutzman, yes, a cock gun. He was practicing to pull the gun out and it went off. Uh, well, Kathleen, you're not totally truth. Uh, he didn't, it didn't go off. He pulled the trigger. The gun just doesn't go off. Uh, why couldn't he point it away from people? Poor woman had no clue shot was coming toward her. Right. And Kathleen, I don't mean to pick on you, but a lot of news agencies are also trying to go with that narrative that the gun just went off. The gun just doesn't go off. The gun yeah, goes that off. Was fine. The gun that was handed to Mr. Baldwin went off. Yeah. Wait uh, a second. There was some mechanical part on on his part that got it to go off. Yeah, he he actually a guy on CNN said uh uh, the gun he was handling fired a live round killing Helena Hutchins. The gun he was handling, because he pulled the trigger, handling it didn't make it go off. Pulling the trigger made the gun go off. It's just mm -hmm. semantics, but uh, words are important. Words are very important, you know. Uh, Steve Cologne, interrogation or debriefing as it is, is now called a skill. It's not, it's, it's a skill. It's an amazing skill. And yeah. The amazing thing about the NYPD is most investigators learn it through on-the-job training. Yeah, They get some training in the criminal investigation course, but most of their training is by watching other detectives and being taught the tricks of the trade by older detectives. And that's how they learn to be good or great interviewers. And that's, that's a skill that uh, you can't just pass down to someone Someone has to pay their dues uh, learning it, you know, and that's uh, that's an amazing thing. And maybe I'm not just saying the NYPD because I was part of it. I'm sure many other law enforcement agencies have those incredible interview and interrogation skills that they learn over a long career 
and they use it to to build their cases. And it is look, you see attorneys. Some attorneys have great interview and interrogation skills. You see that in Congress. When you see a congressman grilling someone, you say, that guy must have been a prosecutor because he's yeah. just too good at asking questions, you know? And yeah. sure enough, yeah, the, the great ones were prosecutors because uh, they're, they're great interviewers. You know, Joe, we're at, um, I guess, what are we at right now? We we're at, uh, started at uh, 5.30. So we're at like almost an hour and 15 minutes. I thought this was fascinating and we weren't even going to go live tonight but i thought that uh you know when i saw that statement i thought that it was important to address it yeah Uh, important maybe to dissect it a little bit uh and important just to you know to to see what he you know what is he talking about i i I just i just thought there were a lot of things that he said uh weren't he weren't truthful and all of a sudden he's uh He's going to his activist mode already. I'm very concerned with what's going to happen in the future. You should yeah. be more concerned with what's going to happen to you. you yes, know. he should. You know, rather than I what's really going to happen. Think he, he has liability here. I think he's going to be charged. I just can't walk away from this too many, you know, horrible facts. That was a real gun who was not that was not modified in any way to make it safe. That was a real gun. Now just again, going back to Steve Gardell, he said that the armor would go to the actor and explain the weapon. Oh, this gun is incapable of firing, may dry fire it just to show them or open it up and show the mechanics and say, look, there's no guts in here. It can't fire. So not having received that, an experienced veteran actor like Alec Baldwin, I'm sorry, but I think that you know, goes to his gross negligence and that it was just the AD who grabbed it and handed it to him. He doesn't know that it's safe. And he really gave Baldwin no reason to rely upon his representation that it was a cold gun. So I I really do think he's going to have some liability here. It'd be really interesting to see. I would love for Sheriff Mendoza to watch your show with Steve Gardell. It was so informative. It really just put things in a different perspective for me because I I was of the opinion that he would have no liability. There were two other people that were supposed to make that safe before they gave it to him. But, you know, as Steve pointed out, there are a lot of things that should have happened that didn't happen. Perhaps if they went through those steps and showed him the weapon and explained the weapon, that it wasn't capable of firing a shot, then he could rely on those representations. But that apparently never happened. He was taken, he took the gun and handed it to him and said it was a cold gun. That doesn't fly. So I think we're going to see some liability here. Yeah, I mean, I think that'll be a uh, interesting uh, decision by the district attorney there, uh, whether she chooses to file criminal charges or not. And, uh, I, I think that could take a while. You know, they want to make sure that this is a thorough investigation. They mm-hmm. want—they don't want to just, like you said, they don't want to just charge someone just for the the heck of it. You know, th- th- there's there's a reason to bring forth criminal charges because we all know that um, there's going to be a huge civil suit, a yeah. civil lawsuit. Millions of dollars are going to be paid out by some insurance company, potentially paid out by individuals. 
if you have the means, you can be sued personally also, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, the two big blunders there, you know, his, his statement that it's a well-oiled machine, wrong. I mean, he never should have said that because this can't happen unless there is some negligence somewhere. So, I mean, that was a terrible mistake, and it attacks his credibility. He may testify at, at a trial. He may feel compelled. I have to stand up there and tell him what I did and what happened and what I saw. But now he loses credibility with statements like that. So, you know, that that's a problem. And then going into his gun control advocacy thing, this is gun country. I mean, that was not a smart thing to do for potential jurors out there. You know, like, I, I don't think that was uh, well advised either. I mean, he's making some real missteps here. But, you know, he's got an ego. So I hope he just gets a good lawyer and relies on the advice of a lawyer. Well, Joe, I don't think you're going to be uh, flying out to Santa Fe, New no. Mexico anytime soon. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think we raised some great points here. I think we just dissected the case. And um, it's just interesting, it, you know, to hear his statement. And I don't believe that he just turned around and gave a statement to these paparazzi to, just to get them away. That was yeah. self-serving. He was doing that for to serve himself, not to yeah. serve them. Oh, guys, I'm going to give you a statement if you get out of here after I give you the statement. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was I, his I just, thing for sure, no doubt. Yeah, he wanted to spin it. Folks, uh, I think we're going to uh, call this call us a night uh, now. Uh, I thought we, it was fascinating. And uh, like always, it's great to have Joe Murray on. And lots of times he argues the other side of the coin with us tonight. We seem to agree more than disagree. And yeah. Phil Grimaldi, of course, uh, this is going to be an interesting case to watch. And, you know, of course, the tragedy of what occurred, we all, our hearts go out to Miss Hutchins' family and even to the other people involved in this. It was a, a horrible, horrible tragedy. But yes, we want to prevent future tragedies by enforcing the law when possible, when necessary. And of course, get to the bottom of this case and find out the truth and find out what actually happened. Joe, last words. I'll give you the last words. Amen. Yeah, I'll be real quick. You had someone mention that Andy, the Gabby Gabby was on. I watched his show before coming on your show and he did a great thing. He showed a video of Boris Johnson and a bunch of stuff suits who uh, had their masks on and they were taking the picture. And as soon as they were done taking the picture, they all pulled their masks off. standing <laughs> together. It was the hypocrisy. I loved it. It was fantastic. I love his show, and he's a big supporter of uh, Police Off the Cuff. So shout out to him. He's doing great. I think he's his, na his name is his first name is Steve. I think right. No, his Andy. Andy. Oh, and I'm sorry, Gabby. Andy the Gabby Cabby. Yeah, I, yeah, I apologize, so. Andy. Andy the Gabby, yeah. and he shouted out to me a million times. I my yeah, mind is all over the place. Guy. I have a million things, but yeah, great guy, and uh, he's a big supporter. We we support Andy the Gabby Cabby. That's for sure. Right. Well, thanks for so having folks, me. I really appreciate it. it. It was great fun, folks. Have a great night, and thank you so much for listening.